Welcome back to Unfiltered with Sarah. Today's episode is a really, really special one and a long time coming. My wonderful husband, Kevin Koloff, is in the house, in the RV, I should say, not the house. Say hello, husband. Hello, everybody. (laughs) So I'm so excited, you guys, to bring on Kevin. You guys hear about him all the time. And I convinced him to do a Leadville podcast, and this has actually been highly requested. So for those of you that are not aware, Kevin did the Leadville 100 Ultra Marathon this past weekend, which is honestly legendary if you're not aware of what that is. Um, And so I wanted to bring him on to specifically talk about this experience because it's actually a podcast that inspired him to do this race years ago. So Kevin... Share with the audience, and and he has no idea, you guys, what I'm going to ask him. He's not prepped, nothing. But I know a lot of the questions I've gotten on social media from everybody. We had hundreds and hundreds of people like cheering him on, asking questions. It was like so beautiful, all the support that he got, and he absolutely crushed it. But let's just start way back in the beginning. So Kevin moved to Colorado years ago. He's a mountain man, a big hiker, now a hunter. And it was a couple years ago, right, where you listened to a podcast and decided that you wanted to do level 100. So share with the listeners that that moment. Like, do you remember that moment? I remember listening to the Joe Rogan podcast. Many of you probably listened to it. And it was the David Goggins interview, a uh, famous one. And I I think I was driving home from Utah or you and I were driving home from Utah. I just remember remember that. I just remember going through this valley and Mm -hmm. and hearing about it. But uh, I think Sarah was sleeping, actually. Sarah usually sleeps when we're on car rides while I drive. I used to. (laughs) You do a lot. I actually remember this podcast. It was the first time I heard about David Goggins. Yeah. And that guy's just an absolute absolute freak in in the nicest way possible um but i heard about that and it didn't seem possible but something intrigued me about it and i have this crazy friend named mason yan shout out mason Mason. (laughs) i hope you're doing well buddy um i have this crazy friend named mason he and i got to talking about it he had heard the interview with joe rogan and david goggins and we decided we ought to ought to try it for ourselves we love hiking around Colorado. We love doing all that adventurous stuff. Um, and so he and I went out. We thought we'd just do the Leadville course, which surprised to us some of Leadville's through private land. Yeah. Which we didn't know at the time. So we got about to 1 a.m. after we started. And we found ourselves like knee high in water, going through a swamp. Uh, so eventually pulled out, ran the road, got back to the car after doing 40 miles. And I was just shaking uncontrollably. Because you're so tired or cold? You're cold. Cold. cold yeah. yeah. My body was trying to cool itself down from running. Um, but here it is, 1 a.m., middle of Leadville, 10,000 feet, and just shaking cold. Didn't think I could drive, but found a way to drive back to Denver. Slept for a few hours, and then Mason and I finished the next 60 miles in Denver that following day. And Mason and I ended up doing 100 miles in 43 hours. So it's one thing to do a marathon or to do an ultra marathon, which is 100 miles. But it's a whole nother beast, a whole nother thing committing or even attempting to do this Leadville 100 race. And so, Kevin, just for, again, for the listeners that are unaware, what is a level 100? 
Leadville 100 is one of the most popular and f- infamous uh, ultra marathons. And an ultra marathon, I believe, is defined as anything above 30 miles. Maybe one of the listeners clarify in the comments if that's not true. But I believe it's every, anything above 30 miles uh, distance, marathon distance. Um, so Leadville is a the highest city in North America, uh, 10,000 feet above sea level. And 40 years ago, 1983, a gentleman named Ken, who used to be a miner in Leadville, was trying to find a way to bring prosperity to the city after the Leadville Climax Mine had closed. And they came up with the idea that let's do this 100-mile ultramarathon race because if we do 100 miles, people are going to have to stay the night. And he told us that uh, at the opening ceremonies a few days ago that the whole idea behind it was people would have to stay in their city either the night before or the night after, most likely both, uh, and stimulate the economy. So Leadville is based on on that 40 years ago, and it is 100 ultra. 100-mile ultramarathon through Leadville, Colorado, 15,000 feet of elevation gain, 15,000 feet of elevation decline, and it is a test of the mind, body, and soul. Mm. It really is. It really is. Which yeah. we found out last yeah. weekend. It's no, it's no joke. It's nothing to play around with. So, okay, so another thing that a lot of people might not be aware of is it's really hard to get into Leadville, the level 100. So what was that process for you? A lot of people ask like, well, how did he, did he qualify? Cause everybody knows like you, most people know you haven't like done a race before. So share kind of what you, what you did to get in it, in it. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, Leadville is a lottery based entry system. The interesting part about Leadville is there's not, they don't draw numbers. Um, there's no formal process. You enter and apply for Leadville 100 maybe in August or September or so. Um, And then results, I believe, are drawn in January. But there's not a rhyme or a rhythm um, necessarily about how you get drawn. You do have to have uh, an application Mm -hmm. and a little bit of a story about why you're doing it. You're, You're welcome to type that up and submit it with your application. I know there are volunteers that are able to get into Leadville based on volunteer history, um, which I can't speak too much about because I don't, I don't know about it. But I was fortunate enough. I applied my buddy Mason and I to do it um, without Mason knowing. And I, we got in and I called Mason that morning after getting the email. And he had seen the email too. Uh, and it just so happened Mason was out running in Florida. And he's on his run, and he's like, um, we're getting into Leadville. We're, we're doing Leadville, buddy. And he was head over heels. He was out on a run. He had told his parents they were ecstatic um, and just so excited to do that with Mason. And unfortunately, he moved back to Wisconsin and, and wasn't able to make it out for the race. But, um, yeah, that's I guess that's a little bit about getting into Leadville. The, go do your own research if it's something you're considering. I'm certainly not the answer on how to get into Leadville. Yeah. And Kevin is, I mean, definitely like an amateur when it comes to this type of sport. I mean, it is a sport and it was really cool to see all, all of like the ones that you could just tell that they do marathon running, but it was also cool to see the, 
the diversity of all ages. I mean, there was women just killing it, older guys killing it. It was just really cool to see. Did you mention that you have to finish under 30 hours? I didn't. That, That's a that big, is part, a big of it. part of it. <laughs> and you finished in? 29 and a half. 29 and a half. It's pretty incredible. And most ultra marathons, most 100 milers, correct me if I'm wrong, they get 32 hours or 36 hours? I'm going to understand most ultra marathons are a 36-hour cutoff, uh, but Leadville, for whatever reason, is 30. <laughs> so lucky me, lucky us. We got to get it done quickly. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I could have done six or more hours of yeah. that. Yeah. So a lot of people want to know what your training was like. So, you you know, you did get a coach back in March, April. You started training April 1st. So what was that like? Uh, again, a lot of people ask, you know, how many miles, like where your highest, how, how far you went in one day. Um, but give them a little inside look to your training regimen and how maybe tough it was and and stuff like that? Well, I hired uh, a guy named Stefan from Journey Running Coaching, and Stefan's done many ultra marathons uh, to this year alone, plus he's training for the Moab 240 uh, in early October, which is a 240-mile marathon. <laughs> so I I can't comprehend that. Yeah. But uh, Stefan was great. Hired Stefan at Journey Running Coaching, and he developed a personalized training program with how much time I had based on my needs, based on my schedule. Schedule's a big thing. Mm-hmm. And so we have other things going on outside of, of ultra marathoning, of course. Yeah. And so he developed that schedule. Um, started April 1st. Sarah and I were down in Florida. The first run I did was like a four-mile run. I'll never acro- forget it. Across that seven-mile bridge down in Florida. Um, and so since then it was kind of ramp up, ramp up, ramp down, ramp up, ramp up, much like climbing, you go up to a certain elevation, then you, you bump down a little bit, just get your body accustomed to it. Um, so it was overall four to five months of training anywhere from 30 to, I think maybe 60 miles a week. I was just going to ask you on average. On the high end. Um, so those, those runs would be anywhere three miles a day, four miles a day, 10 miles a day, eventually leading up to some 20 mile runs, um, on the weekends, some 24, 25 milers. Yeah. And then with a preliminary prep race in fair play on July 9th, which was a 34 mile run, which took everything I had. I learned a ton. I couldn't walk after that. Sarah and I went out to outdoor anniversary dinner afterwards and he was hurting i could barely walk it was i was pretty afraid for a hundred well yeah let's be real with them i mean yeah you were like oh my god like i you were kind of gave you fear it almost had the inverse effect yeah didn't give you confidence it gave you some fear for it gave me confidence in the process of what an ultra marathon looks like yeah but at the end of the day it, it did give me fear yeah I did those 34 miles. I couldn't walk. I came back to the RV. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I just... It was tough. It was still a pretty big elevation gain. Yeah. Yeah, it was still tough. There's a lot of elevation gain, but... Yeah, you had the inverse effect in a weird way. And so I really had to think hard after that week about, can I do 100? What's it going to be like? And... 
at the end of the day, there was no choice in my mind. I, I'd pretend that there was a choice mm-hmm. that I was thinking about doing it or not, but I was doing it. There, no matter what. There yeah. was no backing out. And I will say shout out to Stefan because he was so generous. Just Zoom calls they do every two weeks. Bi-weekly, yep. Yeah, bi-weekly. And Kevin would pick his brain. So kudos to Kevin, too, for just being, you know, coachable. I think that's really important going into something such, like, such a big endeavor. And uh, so he was coachable and he came prepared. And uh, I would say he stuck to the training regimen pretty well for our circumstances. I mean, we sold, not sold, we sold everything in our house and we were renting, but, and then we transitioned into RV living and then he's transitioning out of his corporate job. So we've been full-time travel. So it's been a lot. So I, I prize you, like I am in awe of like you being able to continue to train. I mean, he would get up at 3am or 4am or if he get back late, he'd train at night and he didn't feel like doing it. And that's the thing with its success and doing things that are outside your comfort zone. And it's truly doing things when you don't always feel like it you know, and still showing up. So great job. I'm really proud of you. Yeah. And that's a great point. I will say many, many, many runs. I didn't want to go on. Yeah. Would have rather watched a movie or whatever we were doing. Yeah. Moving, to, moving into the RV. Um, but looking back, every single one of those runs was worth it. Whether it was four miles, 10 miles, 20 miles. I got up that morning at the George Strait concert and did 20 uh-huh. miles at 3 a.m. And then we moved out of the RV that day. And then we met up with my buddy Javon. Oh, nice. yeah. And then we went to the concert. And then we drove 12 hours the next day to, to Wisconsin. Wisconsin. But looking back, uh, Leadville taught me a lot about consistency and having an appreciation for those small days. And by small days, I mean four miles, five miles, 10 miles. Mm-hmm. Um, those are what made me finish that. And guys, he had to train at elevation. We lived at 8,000 feet elevation. So some of these runs were pretty intense too. I mean, some were, you know, decent, but then some were pretty, pretty intense. I mean, and then he also, so if any of you guys are listening that maybe want to do a Leadville race, you know, want to participate in it one day, he did hope pass. So we're going to get into this here in a second, but he did hope pass, which is something that you have to do in the level 100, which is the par- hardest part of the race. So would you say that that, I know that was the part of the race that you really struggled in, but like you doing it two times, do you think that helps you like get through it and make that cutoff time? Sure. Yeah. The crux of the race, as they call it, and crux is such a fun word. Mm-hmm. Uh, is Hope Pass, and that's from mile 38 to 62. You go up and over a 12,500 foot above eleva- uh, above sea level elevation mountain pass called Hope Pass. And I had anything but hope going up that yeah. pass. The sun was really beating down on Saturday. You're above 10,000 10, feet. You're actually at the lowest point on the course, 9,500 feet. To start with at mile mm-hmm. 38, I just left Sarah and, and mom, and I was already pretty flush he with heat. Flush. Yeah, a lot of people were. And so you go going up and over this mountain pass. I'm pretty sure I got passed by at least 99% of the people on the course. And we all have egos. I have a strong ego. That hurts. He does. And just getting passed by everyone, feeling down. Kevin never gets passed, by the way started having those negative thoughts of what if I fail? What if I quit? What am I going to tell people that ego coming into play? And 
just decided to put one foot in front of another and I went slow. Mm-hmm. I went very slow. So we're going to talk about race day. So we're going to get into some more details on that, that leg of the race where it was make or break for Kevin. Um, but going into it, I definitely downplayed it. I mean, we, pre- I mean, he, again, he prepped physically and, um, as a crew, <laughs> chief crew or crew chief, crew, crew chief. chief, his wonderful mother saved, saved the whole race by flying in and helping me be, uh, you know, help him on, on checkpoints and aid stations. Um, I think one thing though, that we couldn't really, fi- I feel like maybe we couldn't find easily on online was more so of like the different legs of the race and what that was like. Um, and so we actually stayed at a campground down the way in Buena Vista, about 45 minutes, Snowy Peak, shout out. <laughs> we got up at 2 a.m., didn't sleep. You were feeling nervous? Yeah, I was a little nervous. A little anxious. Again, you're just like ready to go. At that point, you're like, let's go. And you're tr- there's no way you can sleep. Before you know, no one did. Remember that guy that we, we parked by? He's like, "Oh, did you sleep last night?" Yeah, that like, was very comforting. We sat, yeah. we parked next to, next to this man, and I was like, "Hey, how'd you sleep?" He's like, "Not a wink." I was like, "Perfect." Yep. Neither did I. It's normal. Yep. You're so invested. You're gonna go do this big task yep. that you've set out to do. So it was great to hear that that gentleman <laughs> sleep wasn't just Kevin, <laughs> but even. Even me and Renee, we we did not sleep good either. So 2 a.m. wake up call. We drive, you know, we park and we shuttle over and they start at 4 a.m. What was that like starting? I mean, it was the coolest sight, you guys, seeing all these runners. It was the coolest thing. What was that like? Being naive played to my advantage. Uh, and I can draw back on the same memories of hiking 14ers mm-hmm. with my friend Brent. Mm-hmm. We used to run up 14ers in April, knee-deep in snow, no water, no gear, wearing cargo shorts. But that naiveness is a strength. Mm -hmm. And so if you're going to do something you've never done before, um, whether you know it or not, you do have an advantage of being naive. And so I had... I was excited. There's all these professionals around me wearing all this cool gear and watches and pros, pros. <laughs> People come. Twenty four countries were represented. Forty nine states were represented, and I was just a guy running. But being naive, I didn't have as much. I I didn't know what to expect, and so I wasn't maybe as nervous as I should have been. Yeah, that's good. So then you ran 12 miles to the first checkpoint outward bound. And that's where we saw him for the first time. Um, and so we kind of slept, in, we, well, we kind of slept in the car and then, uh, we were tracking you. So we kind of had an idea when you were going to show up. It was absolutely packed. So many people. Um, but it was finally light out. It was starting to get a little warm. So we saw him and, uh, got, what, what did you change? Um, so yeah, so my, uh, mile 12 is May queen. Oh, my bad. And May Queen. And yeah. then we saw you at 23, mile you saw 23. Me at 23 yeah. We didn't see him at May Queen. Yeah. That's right. It goes fast. Yeah. So 12 miles, he had an aid station. We weren't there. Crew, well, yeah. we, crews can go there. We decided you, you knew you could I, get it. You didn't need it. I didn't need you there. Yeah. I just wanted to keep moving. He knew moving. he'd be doing good at mile 12. Yeah. And yeah. that's an important part to bring up is going to this with a, with a plan. Mm-hmm. And that was part of our plan not Lots to see mom, planning. not to see Sarah. Yeah. Uh, so hire a coach. Um, that's another thing I learned on this race is ask for help. Yeah. There's people out there that are better than you, are smarter than you, know more than you. 
ask them for help. Yeah. There's people that are great at running. There's people that are great at banking. There's people that are great at everything. Ask people for help. Reach out to the successful ones. Reach out yeah. to successful ones. Yep. Align yourself with them. Follow behind them. And for me, that was Stefan mm-hmm. of Journey Running Coaching. And and Stefan laid out that plan for me. Otherwise, I would have went in and the gun, the shotgun would have fired. Yeah. An old man fires a shotgun to start the race. Yeah. And I just would have started running. Yeah. Um, so go find those people who, whatever you're trying to do, are, are yeah. good in their field and align yourself with Surround them. Surround yourself with people like that, guys. I love that. Well, on the day before, too, we should mention that we actually drove to some of these checkpoints. I mean, again, if you've never been here and you want to prep your crew team, like, I think that was a game changer for us because, like, Renee and I, we knew where we were going. On Google Maps, we put the pin, you know, the coordinates down of where we were going. We had notes, like... It's very intense, and you have a lot of pressure as a crew member to show up and be there for them. Like, it's revolved around the runner, and so, and there's so many people, you worry about parking, all that stuff. So, so then, yeah, so then we saw, so mile 23, we yeah, saw you, you saw, at Outward Bound. You saw me at mile 23, and I could ramble forever, but what Sarah just said is, is for the crew and for the runners, visualization. Uh-huh. I wanted to go do that on that yep. Thursday, so... While I went to bed Thursday night, while we did whatever we did Friday, I could think about what is this going to look like at mile 12, mile 23, mile 40. And that was huge for me. Mm -hmm. That was seeing that just you can visualize to some degree, but actually seeing it just really, really helps of here's what I'm going to set out to do tomorrow. Yeah, I completely agree. So, yeah, I saw you at mile 23. It took like five to seven minutes. Uh, know, yeah, thanks. Replenishes seven, seven his running so. pack, waters, feeding, drink, giving him electrolytes. Um, yeah, and then checking in on him, and and then he was off. Um, we saw you then at Twin Lakes. Then at Twin Lakes at thirty-eight uh, miles, thirty-five to thirty-eight were not that fun. Uh, a lot of downhill running. He was feeling it when I saw. I was hot. Him, you know, if you, I met him up at the top, kind of where people come down, and it's it was packed. I mean, Twin Lakes, you guys, it is packed. So we f- luckily got a spot, and I, I ran up to wait for him, and I could tell he was feeling the heat. Well, Sarah said, "How was that? How was that section? How did you do?" Drink. And my first comment was, "That wasn't as fun as the last one." No. Yeah, so I was I was a little little bit worried, but I'm like, okay, it's kind of in the middle of the day. So it was super hot. Like, you're at high elevation. It was just beating down on the runners. So yeah, and then the same thing. We we got you up and going again, and but I could start seeing it in his eyes because that was the length of the race that you did yeah. a month prior, and you were dead after mile 34. So I mean, he was looking pretty good, but it's, he's going to talk about this in a little bit. But like, you know, you're, you only go as far as you tell your body to go. Like your body only goes as far as you tell it to. So he was off. I, I, I deep down was a little worried about that because after Twin Lakes, you go, you start making your way. Remember Hope Pass that we talked about? That was when that heat exhaustion started kind of affecting you. Heat exhaustion set in. I put one foot in front of the other and. I'm not just going to stop on the side of the trail. You yeah. can't. You either have to go forwards or backwards. You might as well keep going forwards. And so I made it to the Hope Pass aid station, mile 45. And my coach had, not, my coach had told me not to have caffeine until 62. And at that, wanted it. And I hadn't had caffeine for two weeks in preparation for the race. No, tip. Big tip for no you guys. No caffeine, no alcohol, right. just every, whatever you can do to 
get that edge. Um, But at 45, it was time to have caffeine. And so I I took caffeine, I took water, I ate as much food as I could, and it was only 0.7 miles to the top of Hope Pass, which is the highest elevation point on the course at 12,500. And so I I knew I could go 0.7. I've gone 0.7 many times. Nothing. And so I I knew, let's just get to the top. So I get to the top 0.7, and now I know it's, because I've done this before, which I think was very valuable. You mentioned Mm -hmm. it. I've ran that backside of Hope Pass before. Uh, I knew it was two miles straight down and then a four-mile run down a valley. And so I knew I could do that. So I went two miles downhill. No big deal. You run four miles. It's kind of up and down. Not a huge deal. And you get to mile 50. Let me cut cut in here. Renee and I are back. His mom and I are back at their RV, chilling, whatever. I get a text from him at the top. He says, holy shit, I'm I'm feeling terrible. I'm, I feel all yeah, terrible of something. Yeah, and that at that moment, I'm like, that's a lot coming from Kevin. I don't. I I've maybe heard him say that maybe one time in our relationship in our marriage. Like seriously, I, for him to say that. So, and I told Renee, and we started worrying, and we're like, so we had a tracker that would show when he hit a checkpoint or these deadlines, and we're just like, come on, Kevin. Like he's got to make this. He's got to make this down to Winfield. And then he finally did, and I'm like, okay, as long once he gets to the top of Hope Pass, I know Kevin, like he is gonna just shoot down the mountain and meet us in Twin Lakes. But that was the most nerve wracking part for us. That's when a lot of people drop out. That's when a lot of people are done, right? Is that leg of the race? Well, and me sending that text was some of the negativity and the doubt in me mm-hmm. of, hey, this is a precursor. I told you I was feeling terrible. Mm-hmm. Remember, I texted you two hours ago. Mm-hmm. There, there was a negative energy, negative thoughts, darkness in me, whatever you want to call it. Of, and I and I did feel terrible. Mm-hmm. And me sharing it with you though was a precursor, like a preemptive statement of me dropping out. Yeah, I. That's exactly what I felt too. I'm like, there's no way. There's no way. Yeah. And it was me telling you, like, well, I told you I felt terrible at uh-huh. one o'clock. I dropped out at three. I've, I've been feeling so bad. And all these excuses and bad thoughts and whatever you want to call them. But I eventually got to mile 50 at 540. Yeah. Cut off 6 p.m. Yeah, 20 minutes to spare. And everyone says, you better be leaving that place at 530 or you don't have a chance of getting back. It's going to take you longer on the way back than it did on the way there. It just makes sense. So right now he's talking about he went up over Hope Pass and down. Now he has to go back up. And down towards Twin Lakes to us. Right. And, and everyone, then 10 p.m. cut And cut you got to have time. you got to get to the other side by 10 p.m. And and so I had a really hard decision to make at 540. Most people say, like, hey, you should have been there sooner. You're probably yeah. not going to make it. Um, but I knew I couldn't quit. I knew I couldn't just decide not to try. And how I would regret it and hate myself the rest of my life if I just said, like, oh, you know what? I'm never going to make it. So I went for it, and I started crunching the numbers in my head of I have to get to here at this point, here at that point, Mm -hmm. and then I think I can make it. And so I set out for these micro goals in order to hit the larger goal. Yeah. And somehow, some way, I came in uh, to mile 62 which was a 10 o'clock cutoff at nine forty six PM. 
I got there at 9.46. I saw you at 9.46. Saw me at 9.46. So I was probably closer to 9.50 when I got up mm-hmm. there. And the adrenaline flowing through my body, that was probably the high point of the race for me. That was the coolest thing in the I world. I just wanted guys. to wolf of Wall Street, bang on my chest. Mm-hmm. That? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or no, or, or like the other one when he's like... <laughs> I Seriously, Anyways, I had so I'm much I'm going to come in again because he's my husband. I can cut him off, whatever. No. So... We were waiting, waiting. We we're there early. You know, these runners are coming through, and I knew he had the cutoff. And I, I'm like, okay, I got, I gotta go up towards the trail. I gotta like see if he's coming. Like, I gotta like, I'm gonna, I might have to push him or drag him, whatever. And I, I just knew, I knew he was. I knew you were gonna show in time. I'm gonna cry. I just knew. I, I don't know. I was like, there's no way like, he's probably there sprinting down the mountain or whatever. And also, his phone died. And I was worried about him not knowing the time, whatever. But then all of a sudden I see him and we start running. He sees his coach. So at this checkpoint now, this is where all the runners get pacers. So pacers, you can have a, a couple different pacers. Um, and so his coach uh, was his pacer the rest of the way. And his mom and I knew that if you can get to this point, meet this 10 p.m. deadline, cutoff time, now you got Stefan. And we knew Stefan would help carry him the rest of the way. So it was the coolest moment in the world seeing him. And he was in great spirits, better spirits than he was when I saw him at like 12, whatever, one, whatever, at Twin Lakes in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day. And yeah, he's like, what's up, man? And I'm just like, whoa, I thought he'd be like dead, whatever. And he was in great spirits. And then we changed your shoes, your socks. Um, it was very rushed, very intense. Stefan's like, we got to go. We got to go because they had to make up some time because there's more cutoffs after that. So now it's 10 p.m. You're leaving Twin Lakes after 62 miles. Guys, think about that. 62 miles of straight running. And this is not on flat ground, okay? This is at elevation. This is over mountains. And now he has to go on a tremendous incline to the next aid station, which was how many miles? Nine? To to pipeline yeah about nine and you guys can go half pipe you can't go technically but there was all of us like lined up at pipeline um so we we parked there waited for them and that was a rough part right where did you guys walk the whole time or you ran on you know you ran a little bit yeah so we left mile 62 at 959 there's a cowbell or whatever it was slamming in the distance saying you have to because you have to leave the aid station by the cutoff Mm -hmm. not get there leave yeah and so at 9.59, we take off running a minute before the cutoff, and we have to walk straight uphill for three miles. And I'm with my oh, running coach, Stefan, God bless him. And his says his goal is, hey, you see a headlight in the distance? We pass that headlight. Which, I'm a competitive guy. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't hate that. I was pretty tired at the time, but I, I like passing people. And so... We just went after it, and we hiked three miles straight uphill, power walk three miles straight uphill, and then there was some kind of up and down running for six miles, and we got to that aid station. I guess it'd be about mile 70, 71. Is that when your feet started hurting? Um, that's when my throat started hurting. When did your feet start hurting? Uh, that's a good question. A little bit later on. Later on. But what no, I re- you complained about your big toe at Twin Lakes before 10 o'clock. Oh, yeah? Yep. I remember I- can't remember yeah he did some of it what i do remember is mile 70 uh before that half pipe station 
was my throat was really, really, really swollen. And we think it was either one of two things. One, you're running on a single track dirt trail a majority of the time and the dust getting kicked up by runners in front of you, runners behind you. Or there's a possibility it was sucking on your two 500 milliliter water bottles that are on your chest. And you can get 80% of the water out just drinking normally. But then especially that last 20%, whatever the physics are, you really just, you really have to like suck to get it out of there. Yeah. And it's like sucking and on we a were hot. place how many of those? Like, a yeah. Million. Yeah. And my throat was swelling yeah. shit out. It was very close to the point in closing. And you're already at 10,000 feet elevation. It's hard to breathe to begin with. And it just made it so hard to breathe. Yeah. I couldn't really talk all that much. And that's what I remember about mile 70. Yeah. Yeah, and you were good. We saw you at Pipeline, um, and then... That's when my legs started to hurt. Yeah. Yeah, that... No, no, it was Outward Bound. You that said was that. Outward Bound. I said that. So then, they're, so then they go another three miles. We drive down to Outward Bound uh, Aid Station, and that's when Kevin... It was. You could really start to see he was getting delirious, and uh, he was on the ground, and he, it was the funniest thing. He's like, my legs are starting to hurt. Or I think maybe it was Pipeline. I don't it remember which. Maybe it was Pipeline. Yeah. And Renee and I just laughed. It's like, no. 72 miles Like, come in. on. Your, <laughs> yeah. your legs started hurting way before this, but it was really funny. So you ate some ramen, and yeah. I was worried about him getting really cold in the middle of the night, but as long as you, every time you would about to be, you were about to be cold, Stefan would tell you to run. Outward Bound's a cold stage station. Yeah. Uh, you're in the middle of this field, uh, cold air sinking off the mountains. Yep. And yeah, sure enough, we sat there for five minutes. It couldn't have been more than six minutes. Yeah. And... Uh, chills really, really started Your setting Your butt was in. starting to hurt. Butt was starting to hurt. Had to use some chafing lotion, yeah. some lubricant, and uh, eventually just started running again. Um, and I really wanted to put on my jacket. Oh, yeah. And Stefan's like, no, don't take the time. Give it five minutes. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, I trust you. Let's mm-hmm. give it five minutes. But if I'm cold, I, I want to put it mm-hmm. on. It's like, just give it five minutes. And sure enough, give it five minutes. Your body warms yeah. itself up from the exercise. And that led us on to the climb at a section called Powerline. Mm-hmm. And we climbed straight uphill for an hour and a half. And that was my one of my least favorite parts of the course because that uphill never ended. Never ended. Wow. And I remember at Outward Bound, I was like, you got this. Like, And then I'm thinking, oh, my miles. God, he's got 23 miles still. And it's it was what? Probably it was before 1. It was probably 1 a.m. I think your cutoff time was 1.30. Cutoff time. Three. Was that three? Oh, half pipe was one thirty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's to the testimony of this race. It's mm-hmm. three a.m., but I couldn't have been more focused or more engaged in what we were doing. Yeah, that's true. The the watch on your hand didn't matter. You had the goal in sight for it, sure. It was just the hours. It was. I have an hour and a half. I have three hours. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter if it was midnight, three a.m., six a.m. You just have this goal in mind of. I have to do this. And so the time, the time of day didn't bother me as much as I thought it would. I thought maybe I'll be tired because I'm running through the night, but your central nervous system is so wound up Uh and your mind's so wound up. You've been going almost 12 hours by then. My leg is starting to shake under the table. I'm getting excited just talking about this. And then you, yeah, we saw you at May Queen. 
Sell me a May that Queen. That was the last one. The May Queen cut off 6.30. Got there at 6? We got there at 6. Yeah. Well, we got there at like 5.50, 5.55. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. 5.55. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, and we left at 6. Yeah. And what I remember about May Queen is mom and Sarah would ask me questions and... Zombie. Just zombie shell of a human. Yes or no answers. My mom says, I got you mashed potatoes. Do you want mashed potatoes? No. Yeah, no, yeah. His you, eyes were... Do you want ramen? Yes. Not okay. You only have 12 miles to go. You're doing great. Okay. And you didn't sit down. You just... I kind of had a feeling that was going to happen, yeah. and then you went off. And then that was the last time you had 12 miles? So we had like 12.6 miles to go <laughs> in, four, in four hours. And Renee and I, we just couldn't believe it. Like, we're tired. We've been up for 48, whatever, how long. And we're like, he's still running. He is still running. We had a couple quick naps and we just, we could not wrap our heads around it. We could not. And so then, yeah, we drove into town, waited and we started, I definitely recommend, you know, watching the runners come in because there's runners coming in. I mean, the first one finishes in like 17 hours, but there's people that finish earlier um, in the 10 a.m. cutoff and just seeing them run with their crew and their families and then starting to cry before they hit the finish line was just so beautiful. You guys, the support was epic. And then I remember we planned on me not running over the finish line. I was like, no, like you and Stefan do it. I don't, I didn't run on the race. Like I'm not going to do the last mile with you, but I, it's like a thing. Everybody, the crew, the family, I mean, everybody's crew did it and ran across with a runner because it, it is a team effort. Obviously Kevin's the one that did it and Stefan is the one that really helped him finish. But I'd um, like to speak to that. <laughs> I, I may have been the feet running, but. There's no way I finished without you, without mom, without Stefan. And Stefan recommended I take the time to journal after doing the race. And that's a lot of what I journaled about is I had this team. And Mm -hmm. Sarah and mom, I've never crewed an ultra marathon. I've never (laughs) ran an ultra marathon. But just the support and and hopefully whoever's going to crew you or be in your corner is a friend, family, a wife, a mom, mm-hmm. whatever they are, they're going to help. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they're going to hand you food and give you food. But a lot of it was, I want to get to 38 just to see Sarah and mom. And Yeah, he kept saying, like, am I going to, like, can you guys go to half, or Pipeline? Like, he did want to see us. And, and I could have picked up my own food. I could have filled my own yeah, water bottles. stations were I just wanted plentiful. just that reinforcement of, those having those who are behind you and those who love you in your corner yeah really you can't quit on those people oh pay your debts pay your debts (laughs) uh yeah so yeah and then Stefan texted us and i knew kind of how far out they were so kai and i went down the road a bit and it was just so cool finally seeing him come up the hill. It's a little bit of an incline on the way into the finish line. It's a lot of bit of an incline. Yeah. I just want to say, screw you, Leadville. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it sucks. After all that. They show a sign that says you're 3.2843. They do like five decimal points out from the finish. Woohoo. I'm 3.2 miles right. away. I got this. Well, joke's on you. It is 100% uphill from that 3.28 mile mark. And that was surprising to me because at 4 a.m. on Saturday when we started, Mm -hmm. I don't remember running 3.2 miles downhill. I remember running, but not downhill downhill the whole time. And so that last 3.2 uphill, 
was just that <laughs> final twist in the knife in you to really see if you can keep going. And it's it's Leadville. And I guess it should be that way. Yeah, I guess. You have to give mm-hmm. yourself to it. And mm-hmm. That 3.2 miles at the end really asks you how bad you want it. When I saw him uh, there the last part of the race, he looked pretty good. I mean, kind of, you know, a little bit of like, a, you know, what's the saying? Um, days or it's kind of a deer in the headlights. Deer in the headlights, that's what I was going for. And then I was like, are you going to run? And his, he just kept saying my knee. I think he kept complaining about your knee. And then we were about where he's, I think you decided that you were going to run at one point. Stefan's like, hey, you have to run across yeah. the finish. I was like, all right, you're right. But then like all of a sudden you take a step. He has to like roll you out your knee, the back of your knee. Yep. So we slowly walk. And then, yeah, we did run over. Mama greeted us. We, we all ran over together and it was really cool. Everybody's cheering. And just for me as, you know, as his wife, just that relief of him, you know, not only like seeing it through, but actually just seeing through the training. And I, I did tell him like the training was the hardest part in a way. Cause like you prep for this. Now you just got to do it. But when he crossed that finish line, just all the relief went away and your body just immediately shut down. And, but it takes someone that has a very, very strong mind and spirit to finish this race. 44% of people finished 326 out of 800 something guys. That's crazy. That's insane. And you did it. Yeah. He did it. And I'm so proud of you. Um, so you got a medal. We took some pictures. Got a bell buckle. Bell buckle. How did you feel after you finished? What was, do you remember that feeling? Whether it's physically or just spiritually. I definitely remember it physically. Uh, that's not <laughs> worth talking about because that. And a lot of pain. That goes His away. feet were raw, basically. Um pride yeah proud of yourself yeah. accomplishment proud of myself pride uh the belt buckle is awesome mm-hmm. i love it it's really nice but what i'm most excited about is whether i'm young weak old whatever no one can ever take that from me from us mm-hmm. that we finished the leadville 100 mm-hmm. whether god forbid we get an illness or right we move away or whatever happens like no one can ever deal you guys no one ever can ever take that from us and so i just remember feeling proud of like who am i to be putting my arms up across this finish line and the fact that i'd accomplished a goal that i've had for three years was so fulfilling tell them some of your things that you wrote down your note card your purpose behind it if you're okay with that yeah, I think so. Um, a couple things. So the my running coach, Stefan, recommended that I write a note card and put the note card in my running vest of, of why I'm doing the Leadville 100. And a few of the things I wrote were primarily about Sarah, my family, inspiring them, showing that, that showing them you can do anything that you want. I'm not an ultra marathoner. I'm barely a runner, but I did set out to do this and I accomplished it. And I hope that they, and maybe some of you take reference of that. If you really want to go do something, you can, but you, you really have to want to do it. So whatever yeah, that is for good, you, go do what it. What was the other part? 
the transition. other transition. The other part was I'm leaving my corporate job of eight years in September. And what I told myself was, if I can do Leadville, I can do anything. And this was the runway to the next chapter of our life. Mm -hmm. And that was all I needed to hear. It's good timing. It was great timing. You gave yourself to the mountains. It was kind of my goodbye to Colorado. Mm -hmm. And we'll be back after Mm -hmm. RV travels. But um, Colorado's given me so much. It's given me a home. Mm -hmm. It's given me friends, family, adventure. His wife. My beautiful wife. Oh. I knew you were for this. Oh, yeah, we dated in high, in, in high school, Wisconsin. But it's been amazing. And for me, part of Leadville was, hey, you've given me all this. Let me give you something. And by you, I mean Colorado, the mountains, Mother Nature. And let me try and sacrifice myself. And I, I take that to heart. I, I told the mountains, like, I'm going to go finish this you did for everything you've done for me and i did and it's very rewarding i'll never forget it he's about to cry i can see him getting teary-eyed for those that aren't watching there's listening (laughs) wow well i know that you inspired so many people and i think it's so important for people to take a lesson from this is setting a goal you know, that seems far-fetched or scary. I think it's really important to to chase something that is scary. <laughs> it's going to take a lot of work, you know, and it shows you how strong you are. And really, you get, anybody can do anything that they set their mind to, and you did that. You know, you decided that you were going to finish, and you did. And, that's really, when you're, and then when you cross the finish line, your body was done you know like his body knew he had to get across that and that's really when he because he almost fainted on the way to the car he couldn't walk um i thought you were gonna puke um and he was kind of a zombie after I so i was gonna die yeah he, yeah it was bad you guys it was bad <laughs> but he gave it his all you know so how are you feeling now so today we're, we're four days so you finish today's thursday Feeling pretty good. I can walk a little bit more. Um, couldn't really walk well the first two days. His feet. I'm gonna lose two to- uh, toenail in each foot. I have blisters all over both my feet. Um, there's still pain, but he's lost a lot of weight. <laughs> I've lost at least twenty. Everybody pounds. that knows him is like sees him like, whoa, dude, you're yeah, tiny. I'm so skinny. Yeah, I've lost at least twenty pounds. Yeah. I can't so, wait to put on some muscle again. Yeah, so what's next? A lot of people are asking, like, what's <clears> next? His coach thinks that he might do an ultra marathon again in the future. Um, anything that, you know, you're thinking about? I mean, obviously, we have a lot of traveling coming up. That's we have of a lot focus. of traveling coming up and a big life transition as is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do like the idea of setting another, another target goal, mm-hmm. um, probably something performance-based. Um, my dad said that I did a ride. Uh, no, I don't know about that. Shutting that one down. <laughs> but once I looked up on the internet last night or the other night about Iceland, and that kind of interests me. I've been thinking a lot about that the last two days. Which Viking. is there's the uh, it's called the Ring of Iceland or the Ring of. It's actually a race. Ring of Fire. I don't think it's a race. I think it's just an mm. endurance challenge. 
Um, but you ride your bike 1,200 miles around Iceland. Hmm. I haven't thought about this at all up until 48 hours ago when I saw it online. But it kind of piqued my interest. Well, you guys, we're, we're hiking to the base of Mount Everest <laughs> for our birthday, end of September. Sarah's idea. Yeah. Which is going to be awesome. It is. It is. Kevin has been someone in my life that... Like, I like to elk hunt now. I, mean, I never hunted my entire life. I like to shed hunt. Um, and it, he's just been somebody that kind of gets me out of my comfort zone in different areas. No no one's ever done this my entire life that has been able to do that. Never would I have ever committed to hiking to the base of Mount Everest. And it's actually really badass. So we're really looking forward to that. Um, so stay tuned on our seven travel page for that. And we also, one of my dream trips, Africa. So we hope to get Africa on the calendar for next year. And we really want to do Kilimanjaro. We want to hike Kilimanjaro and then, yeah, just stay tuned. I mean, who knows what we're going to, we're going to get ourselves into. We have elk hunting, bow hunting here in a week or so. Hopefully he's recovered enough. Are you going to be ready? I will. (laughs) <laughs> always find a ready way to be ready for all cutting. It's very true. He's I could have a broke I'd have a broken leg and I'd figure out how we're gonna go. His knee cut. is feeling better, so that's good. Um it's just his feet that we're kinda worried I'm worried about his blisters and stuff. So we're working on getting those healed up and then uh after that, yeah, it's basically Mount Everest and lots of traveling and next year's gonna be interesting of where we're gonna go. Yeah, full time travel. You ready? I'm ready. I, anything's possible. If we can do Leadville, we oh, can do that's anything. Oh, that's how we felt after. I was like, if you, it's like, Kev, if you're a little worried of, because you know, transition out of corporate drive of seven years, I mean, you're, you're a little like, oh, like, what am I, you know, we're, we're figuring things out. But if you can do Leadville, you can do anything. 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 So. Well, I think anything else that you want to share about Leadville for any listeners? I have nothing left to share. If you have any questions, reach out to Sarah and I. Yeah. Seven Travel on Instagram. Yeah. Um, if I could leave you with anything, it's go do something crazy. And I don't know what crazy means to, to you, you yeah. mm-hmm. to you guys. Whatever that means to you, whether you it's a anything. travel trip or quitting your job or starting your business or running Leadville or whatever you can dream up just please go do something crazy try and do it by the end of the year if not have a plan to do it in 2024 and set your mind on something you thought you never would do or never could do and just decide to go do it and really decide and if you make that choice i promise you you'll do it yeah amen that was good mic drop Mic drop. (laughs) well thank you guys so much for listening it was an honor to have my husband on here and we will have an RV um, focused or ba- RV based podcast coming out here shortly. We have a bunch of questions on our RV living. So we're going to share some, some fun stuff that's happened that nobody knows about and tips and just all the things. Um, but make sure that you guys, you know, like this, share this, uh, follow on Instagram, unfiltered with Sarah, where it's also on podcast or on Spotify, Apple podcasts, YouTube, and I love all you guys, and I and I appreciate you for listening and supporting this podcast, and really excited for everything that's to come. So thank you, Kevin. Thank you, baby. Thanks, wifey. I love you. I love you too. I love you a lot, a lot. All right, bye, guys. Till next time. <laughs>